everybody. Welcome to the Energy News Beat Podcast. My name's Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. I got us a gigantic treat today. We have Captain Kurgan, uh, Kurian Kelly, and I mean, this is phenomenal. I've been stalking him on LinkedIn and around, and he finally said yes to coming on the podcast. And uh, he's with Ocean Integrity. And I'll tell you what, you've got some great things going on out there, Captain. Thank you for stopping by. Hey, good morning. Good morning from Indonesia. Good to speak with you. Oh, I'll tell you, you know, you you sit back and we were just chit-chatting before the show and you're really, I was like, hey, what's important to you? And it's like everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Captain, you do everything and you're over in Indonesia and you're the largest depolluter, if you would. Uh, is depolluting a word uh, where you're picking up the plastics out of the ocean? Tell us what you're doing there. Well, we, we operate uh, globally um, tracking plastic waste. We look at the problems, of course, that we face today. The two single biggest problems we have, of course, globally, poverty and, of course, pollution. And, of course, one kind of feeds off the other, right? Um, so some years back, again, my background is, is very different than what you would consider an environmentalist. I'm in the environmental space. I'm very passionate about the environment but very passionate about it in a practical way. Doing the right thing, but doing something that actually makes sense. Instead of just writing and spending all kinds of money on mindless policies that are not going to work, Never, there's no way possible for these to work, but do something like, you know, that is, of course, that is tangible. So we started looking some years back as the problem of plastic waste initially was in the US. We were right. going targeting at the backside of hurricanes, to scoop up the, the plastic waste as the runoff came off the islands and off the, off the mainland. Right. Um, that was, that was the whole idea. Shortly after that, we were asked to look at a problem in, in India. India was, India went to, from India to Africa, Africa, of course, like to, uh, to where I am today in, in Indonesia. Um, we're a very, very different organization, very, very pro business. Look right. at ways how we can, how we can help corporations to, Fulfill their, fulfill their goals. And we do that like by fighting poverty at the same time, eliminating plastic waste. Um, you're hitting, you're, uh, Captain, you're hitting every single one of my hot buttons. This is cool. <laughs> now, how do you fight poverty while you're cleaning the ocean? Well, we looked at, again, I come from the commercial fishing industry. I had commercial fishing companies on the east and west coast of the United States. I also had, had them through Central and South America. That was my day job you know, for years and years and years. And I was very good at harvesting seafood. People like me actually have no business on the ocean. I was very, very good at what I did. And of course, I did it on an industrial scale, which wasn't really a clever thing to be doing. Right. Um, so became quite wealthy out of that, lived the American dream, made lots of money. And so I started looking at how can I give something back? How can I do the right thing? Right. And when I when I started traveling around the world doing what I'm doing now, and I've lived here actually about five years now, but when I started looking at the the big the problems that we that we face, how can we fix these brutal problems, especially right. with pollution? And of course it goes back to one thing. Uh fishermen, people working on the ocean can remove plastic from the ocean. The environmental world is a very, very strange place. Um very fast as virtual signaling regarding regarding problems also right. pointing fingers at people and blaming the wrong people for some of the problems we face 
Um, they have absolutely demonized uh, the fishing industry from an indigenous fisherman mm-hmm. to an industrial guy like my like me, I guess, uh, years right. ago, my past. They, they put everyone in the same category and absolutely destroyed them. So I, one thing I found really strange that when I went into these villages, I tried to relate to these indigenous guys. I said, hey, I'm one of you. And they looked at this white guy um, that was saying he was one of them and they didn't believe me. They saw me as an environmentalist and they, right. there was no way they would relate to me, speak to me, deal with me. I mean, they just would not talk to me. So I saw a guy one day and the same thing happened in two countries, which is actually really unusual. And now I use that in all the villages I go into, fishing villages. So right. this guy had a ripped up net and he was trying to repair this net. He was making a real poor attempt at doing that. Right. So I took the knife and needle off him. I said, excuse me, can you give me those? And he just looked at me and handed them to me and he was amused, I guess. So yeah. I started repairing this net and they were shocked, right? A white guy can actually do this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they, they came along and they were just shocked. And after I repaired the net, spent the whole day repairing the net, the guy said to me, why do you care? Perfect, perfect English. And I said, I thought you couldn't speak English. And he said, I've listened to you on the phone today. I can speak better English than you. So it was kind of a bit of tongue-in-cheek, which was kind of funny. Uh, yeah, so we we uh, we started to talk and I said, can you show me again, like the biggest concentrations of plastic on the ocean floor in this area? Yeah. He said, you're an environmentalist. You've said bad things about me. He said, I... I'm here, I'm trying to feed my family. I said, listen, I'm one of you. I'm not one of them. I'm one of you. I said, I come from a little fishing village in Ireland, just like yours. Mm. Uh, actually smaller. I said, my family have been involved in the industry for multiple generations. And of course, eventually he believed me and he brought me to sea and I was shocked at what I saw. Absolutely shocked. On the ocean floor, say just north of Jakarta or just west of Mumbai or just east of Chennai, these massive cities around the world. Um, the right. volumes of plastic on the ocean floor are staggering, up to seven meters here on the ocean floor. That is higher than the home you're probably sitting in, speaking to me from now, right now, on the wow. ocean floor. Plastic, seven meters between sediment, plastic, sediment, plastic. So we started looking at then about how, what kind of money are these guys earning? What do they earn right. a week, a month, and so on and so forth? That's what blew my mind away. In India, these guys earn approximately $3 a day. Uh, they work 20 days a month, so they're uh, approximately 20 days a month, some of them less. That is $60 a month there. So extreme poverty. Uh, we look at it here wow. in Indonesia, it's they earn, they earn a little bit more, but not a lot more. Right. So we looked at Africa. We looked at the different regions around the world where we're operating, and the figures were the same, right? Just really, really, really right. low uh, ball price, I guess, salaries. So... We patented different technologies then for harvesting plastic, these nets that we call MPEDs, microplastic elimination devices, mm-hmm. and where we can target plastic all the way down to 65 microns. Also, larger particles of plastic, would we call them PEDs, uh, plastic elimination devices. Again, okay. keep it very, very, keep everything very simple. So we get these guys to drag this plastic. So what we do now, we do it in a very different way. Track and trace of everything we do is crucial for us. Uh, So we have, everything is app-based. So what we did was we built this app, this application. So this app now, say Mohammed in in North Jakarta is collecting plastic. First of all, we collect all Mohammed data. 
his family, wife, kids, the whole lot. There's a reason for that. I'll get back to that in a second. Okay. So we collect all the data. So Muhammad anyway goes in his vessel. When he, once he starts going through the water to collect his plastic, we're tracking him. We're tracking his oh. movements all the time, his carbon footprint, if you want to call it that. So right. we're measuring his carbon footprint to how he's moving, moving along through the ocean. Muhammad is constantly taking photographs of what he's doing, and he's uploading that photograph onto the application. He has a unique QR code that's just for Muhammad. He, this one collector, each collector has their own QR code. So as he's collecting this plastic and when he's going to come ashore, he sends a signal to the truck driver. So the truck driver then arrives and the truck driver, of course, we measure the truck driver's carbon footprint coming to Muhammad because he has the application too. Um, so then once we transfer the data to Muhammad, Muhammad scans, say, Ilham, say the truck driver's phone. And he transfers all the data, photographs, the, the latitude, latitude, longitude, um, all time stamped onto his phone. The plastic then heads from there to the warehouse where it's separated, sorted. Independent auditor meets the meets Ilham at this stage, scans the phone, takes all the data, the QR codes onto the auditor's phone. That's also taken by the warehouse. The plastic is separated into different piles for recycling. Wow. The QR code go from there at that stage and it goes to winter plastic, wherever it ends up. So if it ends up back in the supply chain, say it is a plastic, right. whatever it is, they, right. the, they can track that plastic right back to the very, very start. How we eliminate poverty. The reason we collect the data is, of course, two reasons. One of the reasons, the family reason for that, we pay now Ilham or Mohammed, I was saying, the right. guy in the board. We pay him $200 a week. So now he's earning $800 a month. Now he's going from extreme poverty right into the middle class. Now he's How earning a cool. high salary. That's high cool. Salary. Yeah, a high salary in this part, just in any of these, these countries. But there's conditions. There's, there's a lot of conditions to it. The right. reason we collect the family data is that's to stop human trafficking, to stop child marriages. So oh. now it is, Muhammad has to, his kids have to go to school. Right. They can't get married before they're 18 years of age. They have to get an education. If that doesn't happen, we remove them from the program. We kick them off the program. The kids' grades have to improve. Muhammad asked me all the time, he'd say, hey, how come you don't leave me collect two ton of plastic a week or three ton of plastic a week? Because you have a family to raise. You need to make sure that your daughter is getting a good education. You have to make sure she's not going to get married as a kid. She has to get educated. She has to, again, be able to take part in the in the future of our global economy. She has to get a proper education to do that. You have to help her with that. You have to, we will help. We will do our part. But you have to right. do your part again. So you can collect one ton of plastic a week. That's it. But we will pay you $200 every week to do it. We will supply you the tools to do that. We will give you the nets, the impeds, the, the peds. We will give you all our technology to collect all that right. plastic, but you will only do that one ton a week. Captain, before the, we started, I'd said I'd, you're, everything you're saying is right down my alley, and I'm, I'd have to like give you a man hug and then hug you on the podcast. But now I'm tearing up because this is just cool. I, I'm sorry. That now, when you're talking business, are you selling the plastic so this is truly a business environment in order to recycle it. Is that what you're doing with it? Or is it just going into recycling at no charge? How is the money or sustainability going on in this? Yeah, the sustainability is a couple of different fronts. What okay. we do is what we do with corporations, right? We look at we look at two different things. Okay. We look at 
How can we help corporations achieve their sustainability goals? Nice. How can we do that in a way that it's not going to cost the corporation any money? Right. Um, so, and how can we still make money by not taking money from the corporations or, or, or costing the corporations any money? How can right. we make money doing that? And so, it's, so we started looking at, again, say, um, environmental charges that corporations can push onto, onto the end user, onto their customers for the most part. Right. We work with the, a lot with the logistic industry. We look with, with the logistics companies where the logistics companies are moving a container from A to B, whatever it is. Okay. Uh, that container from A to B, the logistics company said they put $25 on a container. Right. Um, they're passing that directly onto their customers. But again, for a very, very small charge of $25 or $20 or $10, whatever it may be, we're removing plastic for that. The company itself get recognition that they're actually removing this plastic. We can track and trace our plastic. Of course, independent audit, everything that we're doing, everything wow. is uploaded on the blockchain. We track and trace everything we do. We're, we're unique. There's nothing like us on the planet. There's this is cool. nothing like us on the planet. Uh, track and trace is crucial for us. The environmental world is corrupt to the core. Right. Yes. Uh, the greenwashing that goes on in it is unreal. Um, so we, we were able to, first of all, we were able to prove what we do. That's the easy, that was the mm -hmm. easy for us. Well, it wasn't easy for us. We had to put a, a lot of, a lot of IT, we had to get IT involved in the whole, the whole process. But, but right now we can, we can go with corporations like a, a beer company that's just coming on board right now. For every bottle of beer they will sell, uh, then we will take the equivalent of 20 grams of plastic from the ocean for every beer that's, that's actually sold. It doesn't no cost way. the beer company any money, but the beer company itself will remove tens of thousands of tons of plastic every hundreds of thousands of tons of plastic from the ocean every year. And of course, it doesn't it, cost the company any money. No. But the company itself, for the company taking part in this, they are true environmental heroes for doing it. And we can promote their beer. And of course, people can buy a beer to clean the ocean up instead of throwing money at corrupt environmental organizations. Captain I'm Kelly, you're amazing. You are an amazing because like four or five years ago on my podcast, we were talking about Putin selling carbon credits because he had a bunch of trees sitting over in Russia. And so people were buying that. That to me seems like a scam. This is like about as real as it gets when you have the blockchain tracking, you have a job, you're helping the economy. And you're also helping uh, carbon credits, uh, I think, are in that scammy range because it still allows the people to right. uh, pollute and then they just buy it. This is different than that. A hundred percent different. Yeah, we're partnered with uh, we partnered with Penn State University uh, there a few years ago. Okay. We're partnering with a large university. I can't mention their name, though, but you'll see it on LinkedIn being announced there shortly. Not too far from you, actually. Oh, cool. Um, and the university itself, like that is, this is to build another layer that we actually need. I've been very vocal about the carbon space. The carbon right. space, again, is corrupt, corrupt to the core. You know, it's this whole thing about planting trees to, uh, to offset a company's carbon footprint. They plant trees in many places around the world by flying little Cessnas or small aircraft 
at, at three or four thousand feet throwing saplings out the window. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it is so laughable. It's unreal, and they are charging companies for sapling that they're chucking out a window. Do they survive? The vast majority, of course, no. Of course, they don't. Um, no. The whole space itself is corrupted to the core. What right. is pushing? What is pushing this whole green agenda is organizations like BlackRock. Right. Um, BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street are pushing this. BlackRock, especially BlackRock. BlackRock have made it very clear, and they were public about that they would drop corporations who wouldn't invest in in the ESG platforms that are actually right. there right now. What does what does that mean? It means absolutely nothing. It's doing absolutely nothing for our economy. We're right. transitions from, say, from wind and solar. I see wind energy being probably the single biggest threat to, to marine life, but we're still proceeding like, you know, 100% with that. It makes absolutely no sense. When they speak about wind energy, right. um, nothing, is, nothing has been, no environmental uh, assessments has been carried out. Um, these these wind turbines are being placed in the ocean uh, in numbers that we have never seen structures to be in the ocean before. Right. The problems with that is we have seen in, in Western Europe, again, where we operate, uh, we saw in Denmark, inshore in Denmark, what happened because of wind energy, because of this so-called green energy, completely right. devastated marine life. And how it did it was really interesting. I've right. spoke with this. I've I've debated these so-called environmentalists that are really right. lobbyists for the for the offshore wind companies, which are European companies that operate in US, by the way. Right. Um, but when when I spoke to them, the thing that shocked me the most was that the the sheer the sheer uh, the sheer number of these platforms that went in the ocean in Denmark when they built these offshore structures. What right. grows on the structures are filter feeders, small mussels, corals, barnacles, and the like. Right. Um, all fish when they spawn, two things happen: all the spawn, the larvae, the fish, they swim up to the higher water columns, up to that four and five meters, because the ocean floor a lot of lot of lot of bad hombres on the ocean floor again right. like there are a lot of predators so once they get closer to the surface the wind farms are are placed of course all the way along the shore all all the way along so as the right. tide flows through these these platforms the filter feeders eat up all the larvae of the fish so recruitment back to the ocean floor wasn't sustainable and of course there wasn't enough larvae, these larvae surviving because the filter feeders were totally invasive to the areas they're actually in. There's actually international laws forbidding what we're actually doing in the US. Again, like wow. and doing it all over the world. But they say the transition is crucial. Um, you know, and we must do this. The the problems with it is mind-boggling. The we speak about oxygen. We speak about the oxygen we breathe on a daily basis. And we speak right. about, again, back to trees. The oxygen we breathe, over 75% of that comes from the ocean. It comes from the phytoplankton and the planktons inside in the ocean. Yep. The filter feeders that are on these platforms, of course, eats up the plankton, right? So the plankton that reduces CO2 and so on and so forth. So we're taking one step forward and about four back. I was going to say two back, but about four steps back. It's, right. it's brutal what we're doing. We're killing marine life. We're damaging our ocean for a transition that doesn't make any sense. I predicted on with the media there and in some interviews in, in Europe with the last few years that energy prices prior to any conflicts 
right. prior to any Ukraine and Russia or any any of this any of this narrative that's been portrayed by the right. media today, what's causing the spike in energy prices. Right. But I predicted at the time that energy prices would would spike and would increase over one hundred percent over over the over over a twelve month period. Right. And of course, what they what they said to me at the time, they said, "Well, there's there's no proof for that." And I said, "There is." I said, "It's not it's it's not sustainable." Um, since then, like in Europe, like you know, energy prices have increased nearly two hundred percent. The energy yep. price in Europe will increase at least two hundred percent more. The same thing is going to happen in the United States. Yep. It is not sustainable. It is not sustainable. No. It's a very expensive way to produce a unit of electricity. And if well, you boil back, boil down the whole thing and take a step even back further, right? right. And look at like, you know, man's man's effect on, 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 on the climate and look at look at climate change itself and look at this whole narrative that's been portrayed, like, you know, how we're actually killing our planet. Right. And when you start breaking down the numbers and looking at the numbers, none of it makes any sense. We again no. we see like the single biggest threat to our planet, of course. An unhealthy ocean. If we lose our ocean, we lose all life as we know it. Right now, it's, yep. it's estimated that up to 50% of the plankton is dead in our ocean. What's happening with that is the plastics itself, as it makes its way into the ocean, all the chemicals and so on and so on and so on and so forth that enters into our ocean, it gets diluted through the, through the water column. As right. that happens, as that happens, our governments made a prediction or, or they made some calculations back in the 60s. They reckoned that our ocean was was vast enough to absorb the amount of toxins actually going into our ocean. And they were somewhat correct, actually, with that, which is actually pretty sad to say, but they were actually somewhat correct. So, But what they never accounted for was, uh-huh. and of course, nobody knew about plastics, microplastics, nanoplastics. As the plastics float around inside the ocean, all the toxins inside the ocean attaches itself to the to these small particles of plastic. Wow. Now, as the as the lavies of these fish, and as well as that, like the plankton and stuff, as it rises to the surface in the hours of darkness to feed, it looks at these particles as a form of food. And of course, it eats it. Once it eats it, the plankton, of course, it's like eating a poisonous pill. It kills it. Of right. course, like and the problem right now is it's estimated by multiple universities around the world right now that up to 1% of plankton a year is dying. There is some brutal problem. I'm not an alarmist. I'm certainly not far from right. that. But one thing that I've seen, I've, I've looked at whale sharks, um, mm-hmm. and I've looked at basking sharks and whale sharks inside their ocean. One thing I've seen there with the last couple of years, how skinny they're starting to get. I'm actually hmm. going to be posting a video on LinkedIn uh, later today about this. Okay. And we see these giant, big, beefy basking sharks that once used to be big, beefy sharks. Now they're really skinny creatures. Pure skin and bone. The reason for that is plankton. There's not enough of food inside the ocean. I saw on the south coast of Ireland, again, the country of my birth. I'm a US right. citizen, but again, the country of my birth in, in Ireland, where we used to get shoals of mackerel, you used to come into the south coast to feed every year. And right. of course, mackerel, they're filter feeders also. And the mackerel haven't arrived on the south coast of Ireland now with over 20 years in any numbers. They're gone. They moved. They were just completely displaced. They're in the other areas, of course. Right. But the fish, the marine life in that area is after being devastated already. Um, again, the plankton, the the, right. the whole life cycle, like, you know, there is disappearing in that area. In, in, in that area. And, of course, I see massive amounts of fish are moving. Is water temperature increasing? Yes. 
is it creating the problem in Russia? 100%, most definitely. Um, are we are we seeing like, you know, there an increase in water temperature there globally? Yes. A natural cycle has happened multiple times in the past. It's happening now again. Mm-hmm. Is there anything we can do to change it? Unfortunately, not really. Um, but one thing that we have to do, we have to preserve what we have. We have to figure out ways to to preserve our ocean, figure out like how can we protect plankton inside our ocean? How can we do that in a way like, you know, that's sustainable? How can we eliminate plastic waste? How can we do that like, you know, and eliminate poverty, end poverty at the same time? Nobody on this planet can do that like us. Absolutely. I'm impressed. I, you've got it down to a science and, and in the oil and gas space, uh, the orphan well projects when in, you know, the oil and gas industry was not always good in the back in the past with ESG and just would walk away from wells. And Texas is now really doing a good job of funding and plugging abandoned wells. What I'm now seeing, Captain, is that with the well with the wind farms, uh, I've interviewed uh, folks up with the uh, right whales and all the deaths that are going on on the East Coast is just pathetic. And it's the sound, uh, the uh, sounding that they have to do for all of those. Yeah, the acoustic noises and yes, seismic, and, seismic work and so on and so forth. Yeah, And it's just killing our wonderful whales. But what I'm seeing across the U.S. is that uh, just as this, Everybody was saying wind farms are going to last 30 years. No, Uh, they're not sustainable from day one without tax subsidies. Uh, All the numbers that I have is that with tax subsidies, they are no longer fiscally sustainable after eight years. Well, they don't become carbon neutral, uh, you know, as we say, carbon neutral until 10 years. So you're supposed to have 20 years of, of carbon neutral free power. Well, the maintenance is so expensive on these things that you really can't do it to six years. So these things are not even well, fiscally possible. Well, well, let's take it. Let's take it even a step further than that, right? If you look at if you look at wind, right? One wind energy, one thing on land, right? And of course, it's brutal for the environment. It kills all right. kinds of birds on land and so on and so forth. The first thing right. what they say when when I debate them, they say, "Well, cats kill a lot more birds, right?" Okay, that's true, right? But they don't. They don't kill large. They don't kill eagles. They no. don't kill large marine birds. Cats <laughs> kill little finches and little robins, which there's lots of there. They don't kill these giant no. endangered birds. The American eagle, of course, a symbol of of strength, a symbol of the United States. Eagles are being slaughtered by these onshore. But offshore, there's a bigger problem. Offshore is a much bigger problem. The carbon footprint to put a plant offshore is about four and a half times higher than the one on land. So right. if it's taken, if it's going to take. 10 years on land, it's going to take 40 years offshore to do the same thing. To become They're not going to last 40 years, They're Captain. not going to last. They're not going to last. They're, they can't last. The problems, of course, with the marine life, what they're doing, there's no doubt about that. Um, brutal problems. The discharge out of the, out, of the, out of the platforms themselves, right? You have, say you have 30, 20, 30 uh, wind turbines, then to, to one power station and before it sends this energy ashore. The cooling towers out of these, of course, is creating a ma- massive problem. Millions of gallons of hot water being pumped into the ocean. Uh, again, so you're pulling in hot water, killing the spat that's inside in the ocean, the sea life, killing the plankton inside in the oil ice, then spitting it back out, right, on top of the other ones that you didn't suck up that are just swimming by, you're killing them also. Um, so there's, 
there's there are so many problems here. There are so many problems. There is no environmental assessments whatsoever after being carried out. None. Zilch. If this was being done by, say, the former president of the United States, right? They would be. And again, I'm non-political. I'm non-political. Democrats, Republicans, none yeah. of means anything to me. But if Captain. it was done by the former president, they would be held to pay for it. They would be absolute yes. health effort. You seem more humanitarian and uh, e- um, ecologically in, in than political. <laughs> That's yeah. I, I don't care. I don't like all politicians. I'm just going to be quite honest with you. I'm not a politician. Ben. We're we're connected at the hip there because again, I don't like Republicans or Democrats. You know, it's the way they the way they spend money. Do you know that at the end? Here's one for your listeners. At okay. the end of the Trump administration, there was a bill passed for $2.5 billion to tackle ocean plastic pollution, right? To collect right. ocean plastic and to stop it. That money was was distributed uh, there under the Biden administration. It was signed <laughs> off under the Trump administration and it was handed out over the Biden administration. It is estimated that the 2.9 billion, not million, billion dollars that less than a metric ton, less than one metric ton of plastic was actually collected. $2.5 billion of taxpayers' money gone. Absolutely gone. What could you have done with that amount of money and how many tons? So let's say this again, Captain, for my listeners, because this just irritated me to death. I'm now worked up. $2.9 $2.9 billion for how many tons did we get? One. One ton? Less than one ton. 900 kilos of plastic. Less than one metric ton of plastic. And the $2.5 billion, vamoose, gone, finished. Less than one ton of ocean plastic like the money was earmarked for. The money went to write white papers to say how bad oil and gas and these other companies are. And of course, that's where all the money went. The money went to write, write about to say how bad the problems are instead of coming up with a solution and doing it. Like the same amount of money, that amount of money with ourselves, we could, we could definitely remove well over a million tons of plastic, well over a million tons of plastic. So we do firmly believe uh, that we could probably in a year do three to four million tons a year uh, of plastic. That's just ourselves. Um, we in the space. If you look at if you look at the, there's very few companies in the world that actually tackle ocean plastic. Very few. Lots of them have the word ocean. It could be for whatever. The word ocean right. is in there somewhere, but they have nothing to do with the ocean. But again, it is just because it works, right? The hashtag works. So we became a TikTok society. We became right. a hashtag society. Whatever the popular hashtag is, if it's the media wake up, I think in the morning. Really right. early, these guys, and they all text each other and say, what are we going to go with today? What's going to be the narrative today? The narrative today is going to be, it's going to be collusion, or it's going to be plastic, or it's going to be big oil, or it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be Russia, or it's going to be something, right? It's going to be something, whatever it is. They all agree with that, and that's the way we run. Unfortunately, that's the way the environmental world is. How do we, how do we franchise ocean integrity so that we can get you money and then you can fan it out and teach other people, but you got to franchise how you've done it. Does that make we, sense? We, we, 
We already do that. We already franchise there globally right now. We're already doing this. But we, right. we stay on top of it there. We hold on to 51% of all the corporations. Again, just to, just to make okay, sure there's no issues there. I just thought I had a brilliant idea. I went to Oklahoma State. I thought it was brilliant. You've already done it. Okay, this... <laughs> Great job. Yeah, we, we look at, uh, we look at, we have a couple of interesting projects there next year. We we're putting the, we started working there last year, looking at ways to collect the sargassum, the seaweed yep. that's coming ashore on the coast of Florida and uh, through the Caribbean and so on and so forth. We, we plan next year of intercepting that off the, court of, off the coast of Fortaleza in Brazil to Cuba. Uh, we'll, we'll intercept that in the ocean before it ever, ever comes through. Um, so wow. that's an interesting project for us. Of course, the, the sargassum, once it comes ashore, it rots, it generates methane, kills marine life, it kills animals on the beach. It's, it's absolutely brutal. But yeah. we'll intercept it there prior to it ever coming ashore. The reason we'll do it, do it down there, of course, is, is it, a lot, the vast majority of that comes through the Yucatan Straits. Right. Um, and of course, those are waters I'm well familiar with. I spend my whole life on the ocean. So anything on the ocean for me is, you know, it's uh, it's very easy for me, I guess, like, you know, to to tackle ocean problems. I understand the ocean. I definitely understand the ocean than the vast majority of people in the environmental world, uh, which wouldn't be really hard. The the <laughs> environmental world, like I said, it shocks me so much all the time. You have you have you have tens of millions of people after creating an economy um, by destroying other economies. Right. This they created this this. They made themselves relevant by pushing a narrative, which for the right. most part is a lie. We saw the floods in New York City a few weeks ago. Right. Um, the floods, of course, the first thing I, was, I saw, climate change has created a flood in New York, right? So I contacted a friend that's a, a, a he's in the fire department in New York. And I said, hey, right. you had bad floods. He said, we did. He said, plastic. He said, there's crap everywhere. He said, the drains are all blocked, Right. And I said, but I said, my, my colleagues in the environmental space, and he started laughing. I know what you're going to say. He said, they're saying climate change. They're actually, they actually want us to, re, to pull back on the narrative that they were saying, like, you know, that is plastic waste and trash on the streets in New York. Right. And that's after blocking the drains and creating the flood. And of course, this went totally against what they were saying. They were saying it's right. climate change, you know, which had nothing to do with that. I saw floods this week in, in Ireland, right, there was floods right. where I came from in Ireland, Waterford, this week. It was the same thing. Drains got blocked, right? Drains got right. blocked. There was rain that created floods. Floods have been there since as far back as we can go, right? We we know that right. flooding has been a problem on this planet. Um, I posted a video yesterday where we haven't had rain here. It's a dry season. It's just come toward the end of the dry season. Right. We haven't had rain now for five months. And, of course, they, which is normal. There's nothing abnormal about that. Right. Um, but it's going to start raining any day now. We had a small bit of rain there yesterday, and I was getting getting gas in my car. I drive a gas car, not an electric car. And as I was putting gas in the car, I saw the guys trying to unblock the drains, right? The drains were yep. all blocked up. The first part of the rain arrived, and it blocked up the drains. Plastic went in and blocked the drains. And the reason I put up the post on LinkedIn yesterday, under my LinkedIn page, Captain Kieran Kelly, yep. I put it up because I said, they're going to blame climate change for this. Right. This has nothing to do with climate change. This has something to do with a problem like, you know, with local authorities and not a proper waste management program, not alone the developing world. We're very yeah. fast, like in the US and Europe, to point our fingers at countries in the developing world. 
Right. But we have it in New York. We have it in other cities too. We have it in badly managed cities where our politicians, let me be Democrats or Republicans, where our politicians didn't do the right thing, didn't make sure that our cities are clean, our streets are clean, they're full of trash, our trash are going to block up the drains. But when, when that happens, please do not... Do not run with the inconvenient lie and turn around and blame climate change for it. It has nothing to do with climate change. It has to do with bad management. You know, Captain, you're so refreshing. I love that post on LinkedIn. I almost feel like a stalker. So when you start (laughs) looking over your shoulder, you know, it's me trying to, you know... Because I love your ideas. Everything that you're doing is sensible. And it seems like education uh, is one of our biggest problems coming around the corner. How does somebody, because you're an entrepreneur, you've got that entrepreneurial spirit, you've got the self-motivation that you've had all of your life. How do we talk or get our next generation involved in things? How do we, how do we look at that next generation? You know, I spoke, I speak with with universities all the time. And one of the things that I always say to them, first of all, I always ask the professors to speak before me. They like to speak when I, when I finish, but I, I, I fell for that once, only once. (laughs) I I didn't fall for that after that. So I make sure that they have to leave and say whatever they have to say first. And I would come in after that. Right. And one thing I always say to the students, I say, please do me a favor scrutinize everything you're told. Stop listening to your professors. What they're telling you is not true. And of course, that never goes down well in the universities, but it's the truth. Like, you know, we yep. need, our, our kids need to start thinking about what they're being told. To tell our kids to live in a basement and climb under a rock and, you know, to survive like that, to save our planet, not to have children, not to go on vacation, not to do anything, to become depressed to second guess like you know their life as we know it right right is very harmful very harmful for society as a whole uh so what i say to to the youth is go on vacation party like a rock star and save the planet at the same time and they say how am i going to do that so we'll give you a list of hotels to go to hotels that again that remove every night you stay there. These hotels are taking one and two pounds of plastic from the ocean. But wow. you, so you go into that hotel, that hotel that sponsors cleanups with us. You're actually helping save the planet. You go along and you buy a beer and they're charging three or four cents on a beer. You're drinking, you can drink a beer and save the planet. How cool is that? Think about it in a more positive way. Go back to basics. That's cool. Be a teenager, party. Do not, do not listen to what they're telling you. That is not the way forward. Party like a rock star at a hotel that supports the Captain uh, Kelly programs, and you're going to save the planet. How cool is that? One hundred percent. The T-shirt. <laughs> Party like a yeah, rock star on on Captain Kelly. I like that. We're going to have that made. Yeah. Well, you know what? We have to get back to basics, right? We have to get back to basics, and we have to look at things in a, in, a, in a more positive way. How can we fix the problems we have? And they're all fixable, right? That's the right. killing part about this. We can fix the problems that we actually have. They, if you're looking at pollution, there's no doubt about it. Pollution is the single biggest threat to our planet. Right. There's no doubt about that. We see the dead zones in the Gulf of Mexico that are expanding, constantly expanding. And of course, like, you know, creating your problems. Um, you know, it's all kinds of pollution from, you know, from... Sure. From, 
the fertilizers to different chemicals to so on and so forth that are creating us. So we have to we have to look at and make sure we have a healthier ocean. But the the transitions we're talking about are ludicrous, are absolutely ludicrous. I see the work right. that the likes of Exxon and these guys are doing is absolutely amazing. I see Exxon, like, you know, at this stage right now, uh, will be a world leader in recycling uh, of plastics. And of course, cool? a complete circularity with them. Exxon, like, you know, now are, they have a, a plant that's up and running there in Texas that's, that's again, uh, been very, very successful in getting a plastic, breaking the plastic down back mm. into an oil and turning that oil back into plastics again. Complete mm. circularity, like, you know, what they're doing. Exxon are right. looking at about a dozen more projects there globally. And I applaud them. I applaud them. I'm an, I'm an environmentalist and I applaud an oil company for actually doing the right thing, um, you know, which is great. If we look at where the amount of money that we're spending, just like the story regarding the money that was spent on the for the one ton of plastic, the $2.5 billion. Right. Imagine if that $2.5 billion was spent on R&D work to produce an engine, can burn fossil fuels if it is, but can be more fuel efficient. If we spend right. a fraction of the cost that we're spending right now into more fuel efficient vehicles, like, you know, there'd be something to go. We're selling hybrids in the, in, 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 in the U.S. for the last few years. And these hybrids are saying, well, these cars can do 35 miles to the gallon. We've been selling cars in Europe that can do 35 miles to the gallon with 40 years, you know, but they were never sold in, in the United States, right? So, you know, to reduce consumption, if that's what we need to do, there's technologies right. already there. There's engines already there. If we put more, if we look, I guess, at the at ways through research and look at ways to actually reduce um, fuel consumption, there's many right. ways to do it. We work in West Africa. I've seen West Africa. I've seen what's going on with the, with the cobalt mines. I've seen what the wow. exploitation of, of people inside in these, these areas. I've seen where kids are, where children are mining for 15 and 20 cents a day so we can feel good. Is that, is that a way forward? If anyone thinks that is the right thing to do, shame on them. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, those mines are horrific. And you see the kids in there working and you see the parents and the moms working for 15 cents a day. That's, uh, um, I get worked up on that. Well, well the reason we, with ourselves, with our collection, we, we, we touched on there a few minutes back about the collections, of course, is to keep kids, leave, keep kids, leave kids be kids, leave right. kids be kids. Make sure your kids get education. I posted up a post there some while back, which was the most horrific sight I think I've ever seen. Um, I'm a pretty tough guy. I boxed through school. I played rugby. I could go toe to toe with Mike Tyson. I'd take him, I'd take him out. So I'm a pretty tough guy. Um, but I, I was in a, a place in North Jakarta yeah. and I saw these children working in a, in a sweatshop. They were taking, they were taking mussels, shellfish. They were, they were shocking shellfish. One of the kids was still in diapers, was still in diapers and they were working. She was in diapers. I posted up the post there last year or did earlier this year. I shared a post, I shared a post with you after, after this, but it, it broke my heart, right? That's I, awful. I cried the whole way home. I cried the whole way home. And again, I'm a tough guy. I cried the whole way home. I said, like, what's happening? What are we doing? What are we doing here? What are we doing to people? Why we're exploiting people more now than ever before. And of course, we, we're doing nothing. We're doing nothing about it. So we have to look at the elephant in the room. And of course, that is pollution. 
It is child labor, it's poverty. How, so it's connected dots. That's what's so, so important to us. That's what's so... Wow. It's, I see it. I see it all the time. I see it in India. I remember being in India, just outside of Chennai. And no, it wasn't Chennai. It was actually indoor in India. Right. And it's, there were these kids down the bottom of a, a yard. The temperature was well over 100 degrees. It was, it was so, so hot. And I saw these kids. I was with a group, a whole delegation, three or four Americans and, and a whole bunch of Indian folks. And um, there were these kids working in the bottom of the yard. And I, I just, I just, I walked on towards the kids and they kept calling me back saying, no, no, Mr. Kelly, come here. Let's, let's, you know, talk. But I right. wanted to see what was going on. Right. And these children were mixing up this red dye. Um, this red dye was some sand and cement. And it was like, and I looked at my, it was like, I, I, pictures of my own kids when they were on the beach making sandcastles, right? They were putting them inside in these plastic molds and they were making these, these brick pavers, right? right. With this red dye. Uh, the kids were covered in red dye. They had no shoes on. They were skinny. They were hungry. And there was a little girl and she looked up at me and she had these amazing curly hair and big brown eyes and, and she was covered in this crap. And I had two bottles of water, two plastic bottles of water, I might add, in my hand. And I handed one of the bottles and I, and I said to her in English, I said, I said, how are you? And I was surprised. She spoke English. She said to me, I'm good. And I said, you like your job? And uh, she just shook her head, no. And, you know, and, and again, I cried again, right? So the guy came down to me that had the yard and he said, uh, he said, Mr. Kelly, he says, don't mind what's going on here. Come up and talk to me. I said, buddy, I'd like to knock your teeth out right now. You know, and it's, uh, and of course my team said, you can't speak to him like that. You can't speak to him like that. And I was just, just appalled. I'm a father. I'm a father. I have, I have a soul, right? I have, again, like, you know, I, I've seen this happen over and over and over and over again. And now we speak about how we're going to transition and how we're going to make the world a better place so we can feel good about making our cappuccino in the morning for breakfast when it's produced like, you know, by solar energy or wind energy or whatever. But we're going to, excuse my English, we're going to piss all over the developing world by doing this? No. You know, it's not an option. It's really not an option. No. Um, Captain Kelly, I can tell that I need about six more therapy sessions with you. Because this is not a discussion. This is a therapy session. And I just really appreciate everything that you've got going on out there. But I would like to have uh, more follow up sessions with you to find out what's going on. And, and can, I'm over here about ready to tear up. This stinks. <laughs> what happened yeah. to part of, party with Captain Kelly? But thank you for stopping by the podcast today. Tell us how people can support you and how people can uh, reach out to you to help eliminate poverty? They, a couple of different ways. One of the ways, of course, is to follow me there on, on LinkedIn, uh, Captain Kieran Kelly, or, or look at us as Ocean Integrity Group there on LinkedIn, um, or the same on Facebook, or so on and so forth. No matter what corporation, or say it's save you a little coffee shop, sell your cup of coffee, and remove... Remove, say, one plastic bottle right. uh, for the ocean, for every cup of coffee you sell. Again, something really, really simple. Really simple. What will that cost? Penny or two for on a cup of coffee? I mean, it's absolutely nothing. But on the bigger right. scale, like, you know, it removes hundreds and hundreds of thousands of tons of plastic. We just need more and more companies on there. Our goal is to get into the millions of tons of plastic a year. That's Isn't what we have to do. So again, something really simple, something really simple. How can you, how cool would it be 
for your restaurant, say, for your mm-hmm. restaurant that you can have on. It's like the countdown in the U.S. for St. Patrick's Day. You see the clock in the right. bar and it's ticking all the way down. But to say have something similar that how many bottles did you pull? The equivalent weight of bottles did you pull from the ocean on a yearly basis? And we send the data every month, every week that you can keep increasing that to show like, you know, that people going into your bar to drink some drinks, party like a rock star, and you're going to clean the planet by doing it. That's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. There's no I other love way that. Uh, and I'll tell you, so we're going to make sure your LinkedIn comfort, uh, information is in there and whatever we can do, we'd sure love to throw our weight behind getting the story out for you. Cause that's what this is all about is uh, getting out there. So I can't wait to talk to you again and buy you a beer so I can party with you and save the planet. <laughs> of, what course, a, of course. What a, what a great way to do that. Thank you so yeah. much, Captain, for stopping oh, by. Th- thank you. Thank you so much for having us on. <laughs>